Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll talk about harvest safety with Keystone Agricultural Producers. Also, Glendalee Allen Vosser will talk with the managing editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac. And at first in today's country comments, I'll have an update on Manitoba's pumpkin harvest. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba's pumpkin harvest is underway. I caught up with Scott Friesen yesterday. He's a pumpkin farmer near Altona. Well, they're about um, 10 days to two weeks later than I'd like to have uh, started. Uh, Just due to the wet uh, spring, our planting delay was uh, also about two weeks, so uh, the wholesalers were looking to buy much earlier, but we were just unable to deliver product that just wasn't quite ready yet. So. And how did the uh, crop turn out this year? It's looking to be pretty good. The pumpkins have sized up uh, fairly well to almost a little bit too big, uh, as um, some of the pumpkins, the seed that I buy is supposed to be for a specific size, but with the moisture, they've gotten a little bit larger than uh, I would like to have seen them. Does that impact what uh, you know buyers are looking for, or...? Uh, we're going to find out. We're going to start shipping them um, but uh, this week here. I've shipped a couple loads already. I haven't had any complaints, but I'm blending them in with some other smaller ones just to get the right bin count. We sell by uh, count in the bin, by a 50-count bin. So. And what kind of yields did you see this year? I see average to above average right now. If, uh, if the weather holds and we can get everything off that's there, and we get a little bit warmer weather, orange up a few more pumpkins, I see a, a, a good crop. How much uh, do you have left? Uh, we're maybe 10% uh, harvested right now. So out of um, out of the 95 acres of pumpkins that we got going this year. So. All right. And uh, you grow other crops, uh, other vegetables as well? Yes, we do. We grow a um, bunch of carrots, a bunch of beets, and a bunch of baby dill as well as sweet corn, but the sweet corn, we grew very little this year just due to the late start. And how did those uh, other vegetables, how did they turn out this year? Everything's been very good. Uh, Yields and quality has been uh, good on everything, just been very challenging with uh, constant rain every week. Yeah, how much rain did you get here over the last few days? Uh, We had uh, three and a half inches in our area, or a little bit more, uh, a little bit farther east of us, and uh, we've uh, had about a total of 21 inches of rain here all year long so far. How does that compare to uh, other years? Well, last year we were uh, half of that, I think, uh, or less than half of that possibly, I'd have to look that up, but uh, uh, surprisingly, with all the rain, we've been able to get things done uh, surprisingly well, but it's been very challenging and frustrating. And with the pumpkins, uh, just talk a little bit about, you know, where those end up, you know, where people might see those in the stores. Well, they end up at uh, two of the larger retailers here in Manitoba and Saskatchewan and into some food service uh, areas in Alberta as well. The other vegetables, is that, do you deal with peak of the market or? Yes. Yeah. The, our, our corn, carrots, um, Beets and dill all is marketed through uh, peak of the market. Okay. Any um, any issues this year with, with insects, or, or was there any disease concerns this year? Uh, surprisingly, the disease concerns were uh, minimal with uh, considering all the moisture and humidity that we had. 
That was Scott Friesen, a pumpkin farmer near Altona, giving us an update on this year's harvest. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Today marks the fall equinox, or the first official day of fall. We checked in with Jack Burnett, the managing editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac, to find out what we can expect for the next few weeks. The rest of this month, we're looking for the uh, the month itself to be uh, about a degree uh, cooler than normal and, and ever so slightly um, wetter than normal, not, not by much at all. Um, October, um, three degrees warmer. He notes we can expect a cold, normal winter in the southern prairies. Yesterday marked the five-year anniversary for CETA, the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement between Canada and the European Union. Dennis Laycraft, the Executive Vice President of the Canadian Cattle Association, says the day comes with a sense of disappointment as there are some key technical barriers on meat inspection that still have to be resolved. He says exports to the EU this year are probably valued at 18 to $20 million, which is down from the $23 million worth of product exported in 2021. When you get our beef there, you know, we see excellent demand for it. So we know if the door gets open, we, we we're confident that our product will fare very well in Europe. In 2017, the CCA estimated that there would be a potential to export about $600 million of Canadian beef annually into the European Union. And Manitoba Agriculture's latest crop report says harvest progress sits at 40% complete across the province, approximately three weeks behind the five-year average of 71% for this time of year. Steady rainfall late last week stalled progress and farmers are waiting for drier weather to return to straight-cutting cereal and canola crops and for windy days to dry down damp swaths. And Kirk is a cereal specialist with the province. You know, people that have, you know, crops that are more sensitive to moisture, uh, you know, such as uh, spring cereals, uh, sitting out in the field would definitely be concerned uh, because of the moisture that we've received, especially if uh, crops are sitting in swaths. So there'd definitely be some concerns about uh, spreading and getting those crops off in a timely matter. For other crops like um, canola or flax or even some of the later seeded crops, I think there is some concern, you know, especially for the corn or soybeans about getting them off before, before frost or, you know, the maturity, those crops becoming mature before we have a killing frost. She notes the province's spring wheat harvest is 65% complete. Canola is at 25%. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Thursday, September 22nd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Wassler talks with Jack Burnett, the managing editor of the Old Farmers Almanac. Today marks the fall equinox or the first official day of fall. To find out more on what we can expect for the fall and into the winter, Glenda Lee Allen Wassler talked with Jack Burnett, the managing editor of the Old Farmers Almanac. What can we expect for the rest of 2022 in the prairies? The rest of this month, we're looking for the uh, the month itself to be uh, about a degree uh, cooler than normal and, and ever so slightly um, wetter than normal, not, not by much at all. Um, October, um, three degrees warmer, about average uh, precipitation. And, uh, you know, then we get into winter, um, which is another... It's another matter, Glendon Lee, that you and I need to have a serious chat about. And what can we expect for the winter? <laughs> well, the winter, uh, the winter in the prairies uh, is, uh, we're looking at it to be uh, colder than normal, uh, precipitation greater than normal, and snow about normal, a little bit, perhaps a little bit, uh, a little bit less, not by much. 
um, where you are, um, it'll be just kind of a, a cold, I'm going to call it a cold, normal winter. Um, and, and, you know, because heaven knows that's, you know, it's Saskatchewan. So that's the way that's going to be. Um, same thing for the rest of the prairies. Most they, you know, we find that the, the eastern parts of the, of the prairies, uh, you know, Manitoba, and in fact, northern, the northern parts of Saskatchewan and, and Alberta, um, will tend to be drier than, um, than western Manitoba and, uh, southern Saskatchewan and southern Alberta which will be a, you know, normal or slightly wetter, but nothing to really to speak of. But the way that the way it breaks down is that um, the cold spells, now, it, you know, it's winter in Saskatchewan, so the cold spells um, we expect to be um, begin actually in the middle of November and then run through the first week of December. So that's like three or four weeks of, you know, pretty steady cold. Uh, and then again, first week of January, last week of January, last week of February. So what's interesting about that is that the cold seems to sort of be front-loaded into the the, the first part and, and middle part of winter. Now, in March, you know, April as well, you know, there's certain, it's, it's going to be cold, and there will be cold spots, um, but we see the, the indications are that things are going to be kind of front-loaded, as I call them. As far as the snow goes, we're finding indications is that too is is somewhat front loaded. So we're looking at the last week of November, middle of December, and last week of December, and last week of January. And again, you know, there's going to be snow, and there are going to be snowstorms in February, March, and uh, you know, maybe even uh, at the beginning of April. But um, not to speak of in the way that I just described. So in the in uh, in what I just described for cold and snow, where those two descriptions overlapped, so the two places where people should focus are the last week of November and the last week of January. So that's where we see both cold and snow. And we have we have some uh, significant uh, times, too. We see uh, November 15th to 19th, very cold. November 26th to 30th, frigid, which is like very cold on steroids. Um, we see um, actually um, very cold and frigid from January 19th through the end of the month. Um, so we do have snowstorm possibilities. Uh, 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 excuse me, December 10th through the 13th, and also uh, January 19th through the 22nd. So that's a lot of information. But basically, uh, what we're looking at, as I say, is a is a colder uh, winter. Fairly normal, except for periods, you know, it kind of goes up and down. That's why we're calling it kind of sneaky cold. It kind of goes up and down, but most of the up and downness is in the front part or middle part of the winter. For areas of the prairies that have been in a drought, though, it sounds as if we can expect to see some decent snowfall. Yeah, yeah. I, that's uh, that's what I've been uh, happy to be able to report to folks. I think there's going to be good snow cover, um, so that'll last. We're looking for spring to be a little bit warmer and a little bit wetter, but not, um, you know, not to the, to a flooding extent. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there's going to be good moisture for producers. Um, I, I, I it's looking up in 2023 uh, as far as I can see. Summer. Um, we're looking again for warmer, but not like like a hot oven. You know, just you know, a little bit uh, 
warmer, uh, to, you know, so to speak, and then drier in the east and wetter in the west, but that kind of averages out to about the same. So I think it's going to be, you know, we don't see any, like, severe, like, shocks to the weather system um, over the next, you know, eight months or whatever. Now, Jack, we've been hearing a lot about La Nina lasting into 2023. Fill us in on, on that and, and what that means for us. Yeah, La Nina um, is is the opposite of what we hear, you know, about uh, El Nino. Um, so just to fill people in really quickly, El Nino is uh, water masses, is, is the uh, warming of water mass off Central America. And it, it's caused by uh, things way out in the Pacific, you know, how the oceans turn over um, underwater, volcanoes, all kinds of things. It just causes the, the water in the Pacific to change. So uh, what happens is that when El Nino is in effect, um, there's a strong difference between the warm water off the uh, central co- the coast of Central America and the colder air, you know, in the Gulf of Alaska. So the jet stream that runs between them is really strong because it's really defined, it's really uh, distinguishable. And when there's a distinguishable uh, break between weather temperatures, air mass temperatures, the winds are strong. La Nina is the opposite of El Nino. So La Nina, La Nina is when those waters cool. So when they're cooler than normal and they bump up against the Arctic air, which is always cold, there's less of a difference. So the jet stream that flows between them is weaker and it starts to wobble and it breaks off. And that's where we get the variations uh, in uh, in weather um, back and forth, back and forth because of that wobbling jet stream and it split, splits off in some ways. So basically what that ends up doing is bringing uh, cold winters to Canada um, and the Pacific Northwest. Because it it kind of you know the waves go up and down, and when the waves are are bending down, that cold air comes down through. So that's what La Nina is, and it changes um, every you know every few years. It's difficult to tell, and uh, you know what it's when something like that happens. That's called an oscillation. That's a long term weather effect. So this particular one is called ENSO. E N S O which stands for El Nino Southern Oscillation. So right now we're in the La Nina phase of it. And what another way to say it is that it means a cold winter for Canada. That's Jack Burnett, the managing editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdeskatgoldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Canadian Wildlife Federation is hosting a webinar entitled Wild Cultivation, Traditional Plant Management Systems of Northwestern North America. That takes place September 27th. The Roland Pumpkin Fair is happening October 1st. The annual ASE Career Fair at the University of Manitoba takes place October 4th. And the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting its fifth annual Regenerative Agriculture Conference November 14th and 15th in Brandon. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon. Harvest is always a challenging time for farmers, especially in a year like this. 
Moreg Majerison is a farm safety consultant with Keystone Agricultural Producers. It's an uncertain time. We've got weather conditions, crops not always good to go, people get in a rush, people get stressed, and people get tired. Um, so they're working longer hours than other times of year. And really, with the farm safety piece, I always think at harvest, the main thing is just, you know, be conscious of those things. Take your time, particularly if things start going wrong. Um, it's stressful and Farmers know best practice. They, they know it inside out, but it's just a human trait that when things start going wrong, sometimes we forget those things and people do actions that they wouldn't normally do. Often it's a time of year when we've got temporary workers around who are not as familiar with procedures or equipment on those farms. They may not be standing where you think they might be standing. They might be touching things they shouldn't be doing. And we don't always take the time to do good training with those people and educate them. And in the middle of a harvest, that's a difficult ask. But really, the, the main piece, I think, is if things start going wrong, just stop a minute. Everybody talk about the plan. Think it through before you take an action on it. Um, and just be very conscious that, yeah, there's people around who are not normally there Um and they're not going to be as familiar with the farm, with the land, with the equipment. So, uh, yeah, that would be a, a, my primary thought at this time of year, Corey. What are some of the uh, most common, um, I guess, danger areas or, or, or things that maybe get overlooked? Um, often it can be um, entanglement with equipment arises because maybe a guard or a shield has been taken off, quick repair, and it didn't get put back on. And then people who may be conscious of that unsafe piece forget because, again, they're in a rush. We get too close to things. People put hands in places they shouldn't put hands. And the other one that I've seen occur many times over the years is people and equipment impacts, people getting run over, either knocked down because they were standing in a place where they couldn't be seen very well, are actually run over by a piece of equipment because they've gone under something to do some repair work. Somebody else didn't realize they were there and jumped on the machine and drove forwards. How important is it to, um, you know, just sit down, I guess, with employees or, or even family members and um, just talk about safety? Really, really important. Get everybody talking about it. A quick conversation brings it back to the forefront of people's minds. Um, it's a legal requirement for employees that that farm safety orientation is done before they begin work, but just as important for family members. Talk about it, make it something that's thought about at every stage of what people are going to do. Just a, a quick chat, a quick reminder, uh, always really good practice. And uh, talk about some of the resources that uh, CAP is offering um, for farmers. So the uh, new piece of the farm safety website for CAP will go live, I believe, this week. So there'll be resources on there. Um, I can help producers, whether it's understanding legal requirements, if they have questions, can provide templates of what should be included in an orientation. Uh, so really, any farm safety questions that they have, um, hopefully I can provide them with good answers to that and yet the new website will have lots of 
handy tips, resources, good reminders, all those things that we just mentioned there that we could be talking to family and workers about. Morag, was there anything else that you wanted to add here? Just one last little thing that I just thought of, Corey, that has sometimes been an issue. If people are working by themselves and they're going to get out of the equipment to do whatever, take their cell phone out with them. We've had a few incidents in the province over the years where people have got caught up or stuck under machinery and their cell phone is in the tractor. It's no use to them if it's not on their person. So if they, take your cell phone with you if you're getting out. That was Moreg Majerison, a farm safety consultant with Keystone Agricultural Producers. For farm safety tools and resources, go to farmsafemanitoba.ca. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Today marks the first official day of fall, which means winter isn't that far away. Jack Burnett, the managing editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac, says we can expect a cold, normal winter with some decent snowfall for the prairies. I think there's going to be good snow cover, um, so that'll last. We're looking for spring to be a little bit warmer and a little bit wetter, but not, um, you know, not to, the, to a flooding extent. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there's going to be good moisture for producers. Um, I, 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 it's looking up in 2023 uh, as far as I can see. He says we can expect the first real cold spell to begin in the middle of November and run into early December. Manitoba's corn crop is starting to reach maturity and Kirk is with Manitoba Agriculture. There is some earlier planted corn um, in the central region near Morden that have reached physiological maturity, so that black layer in the kernel. We are seeing corn development um, reaching the dense stage with the milk line about one-third to halfway down the kernel, depending on, you know, the hybrid and when it was planted. Uh, And we are seeing some silage cutting starting in the eastern region. And there's still room for significant growth when it comes to moving Canadian beef into the EU. Yesterday marked the five-year anniversary for CETA, the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement between Canada and the European Union. Dennis Laycraft, the Executive Vice President of the Canadian Cattle Association, says there's some technical barriers that need to be worked out. We had hoped that we would see some faster progress on some of the, um, the meat inspection issues. We um, have one of the most rigorous systems in the world here in in Canada and the U.S., um, and we use a number of uh, products in our our meat hygiene system that are not approved for use in Europe. In 2017, the CCA estimated that there would be export potential of about $600 million of Canadian beef annually into the European Union. Laycraft says at this point, beef exports into the EU are at about 18 to $20 million. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have details on Protein Industries Canada's annual general meeting. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.